Imagine, imagine you had a friend, a great friend, or even if he was your father. Imagine that in your life he gave you great pieces of advice. Imagine if he sat down beside you and he said, Son, when you go out in the world, here's what you need to know. And this will help you. And this will stop you from making mistakes. Right? And if you follow these bits of advice, this is going to reduce the pain in your life. The pain. Sorry. I have to use American words. This, this will stop you from having to go through things that will wound you and hurt you and actually produce more and more hurt through the generations after you if you just follow these bits of advice. And then he gives them to his children. He gives them to you. And you decide to call them the Ten Commandments. And everybody says, well, they sound like rules now. They don't sound like ten great pieces of advice. They suddenly sound like, stay off the grass. And as soon as you're told to stay off the grass, you want to walk on the grass, right? If you're, if you're anything like me, the, as soon as something becomes an order, you know, it's suddenly like you can't help yourself. You want to, you want to, you know, because we're rebellious of nature. Or if someone says you should do this, you should drive at 55 miles an hour across a continent, huge and wide, it's suddenly like, are you kidding me? 55? Can't I do 57? What about 62? It turns out you can do 62, but if you do 64, you're going to get a ticket, right? And, uh, and, you know, we just have this inbuilt thing. Have you ever wondered what you did with all the time that you saved by getting there quicker? You, you don't know. And, and often you see these guys sitting at the side of the highway where the cop, state trooper got them. And they're, they're late now. They're going to be like 30 minutes late and they get a $250 fine or whatever. Because there's something in our nature that says we've got to break the rules. And so I wish that someone had called the Ten Commandments the Ten Great Pieces of Advice. Because I think our reaction to them would be much kinder. And also... As generations have gone on from the garden, when you read the story of Adam and Eve, and it came about in the evening time, God came walking in the garden looking for Adam because his heart was to be with his kids. That was his heart when he made us. That is his heart today. And throughout the centuries, throughout the years, throughout all the history of the world, his heart has been reaching out to his kids saying, I'm your dad. I want you to walk through this world with my help and my advice. I want to be able to instruct you in the ways of the Lord, the ways that you should go so that there's less pain in your life. Right? Now, I, where I happen to live, I've lived in America for six months and two days. And um, we moved here on 14th of September. I live in North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, we are Irish people, and we drove here from North Carolina because we could. Because you can't do that in Ireland. You can't drive 1,250 miles because you'd be in Spain or even Africa. 
right? Um, but you can do it here. And, and we did. And it was fun. It was long, but it was fun. And we got to drive through places like uh, Mobile, Alabama, New Orleans, you know, seeing places like Shreveport, Louisiana, where the Louisiana Hayride was broadcast in the 1950s, the first year that Elvis was famous. You know, seeing all these places that are historic to us, that are romantic to us. We drove over here. I don't even know why I told you that. But who knows? But since we came here, um, we've been trying to find our way and find our way in your culture and, and understand how America works. And it's been a journey that has been rewarding and interesting in so many, many ways. But another journey started with me probably 12 to 15 months before that um, when I began to understand that God was trying to teach me principles about things that I'd been completely ignorant of. And in North Carolina, two brothers called the Wright brothers came down from Ohio to a place called Kitty Hawk and they tried the first flight and they succeeded. Now prior to that, mankind understood that gravity was a dangerous thing. That you just, you can't stop it falling because gravity is very powerful and gravity will kill you if you do not respect its laws. But what happened was guys, you know, they designed the hot air balloon. I think they got a load of Irish people to breathe into it. (laughs) He loved it. And uh, I was laughing too hard right there. So people could float and be lighter than air. But they couldn't control where they went. And if the wind decided to take them somewhere, that's where they went. What the Wright brothers did was they understood the law of aerodynamics. And by using the law of aerodynamics and a unique steerage system, they invented the system that is used today to steer aircraft. I mean, it's probably been improved. It's probably not made of wood anymore. But... But they designed something which has changed the world. I mean, prior, was it 1903, was it? They did it? I don't even remember. But prior to that, you couldn't do that. Right? You could go up in the air, but you'd come down just as quick whenever the air decided it was bringing you down. Okay? Yet they invented something which helped us employ the law of aerodynamics, which means if you want to go to California today, you can drive obeying the laws of gravity, Or you can employ the laws of aerodynamics and you can be there this afternoon. Right? One gets you there in three days and one gets you there in three, four hours. Right? Because a greater law supersedes another law. It doesn't do away with it. You still step off a building, you'll still hit the ground. Right? But this other law is greater. There's a better way. There's a higher path. There's a greater revelation that thousands of years of humanity never knew about. And in the same way, when we go back to the Garden of Eden and we think about Adam and Eve having a couple of kids, Cain and Abel, and it says in Genesis 
Better get the reference so that you know that I'm actually working from the Bible and not just making stuff up. Genesis 4, 3. Okay, this is what it says. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the, first, of the fruit of the ground. In the course of time, Abel brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel, his brother, brought of the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. And God loved what Abel did, but he wasn't pleased with what Cain did. Now, this all boils down to what you think about God, because if you think of God as a very nasty, mean, pernickety person who's trying to tick items off your Christmas wish list so that he can punish you at every turn, then when you read a scripture like that, you think, why would you be so picky? I mean, it's confusing because Cain is mentioned first. And in our heads, we think that's what came first. But actually, no. Abel brought the first of what he had. Cain, in the fullness of time, got around to doing it. And God, at the very beginning of mankind, is trying to reveal to us that there's a law here. Or a piece of advice depending on how you want to look at it. Now, if we treat it as a law to break, that's fine. If we treat it as a piece of advice, there's a blessing waiting for us. And what does that look like? Because Abel brought the first, the Lord was revealing to his people, you and me, that there's something about the first dedicated to the Lord which brings a blessing. Right? There's something about that. Giving your firstborn. It says in Exodus. Uh, is it Exodus? you think I'd know these by now. 13, verse 2. Consecrate to me all the firstborn. The firstborn to come from the womb, whether children or animal, is mine. Anybody got children? Anybody ever been a child? <laughs> Maybe you managed to get here without that experience. But... If you see a couple of toddlers in a playgroup having a fight, very often you say to Tommy, Tommy, why are you smashing Harry in the face? And all Tommy says is, mine. It's mine. Because Harry took Tommy's tractor. His John Deere or whatever. Right? So he gets smashed in the face with it. And, if you, you know, and then suddenly there's there's pain, right? Pain. Because kids don't need to be taught what's theirs. They come out of the womb screaming for more. Right? So much so that we, after years of asking for more, don't understand that asking for more is not wrong. It's just what we're asking for. And when we say more, Lord, he says yes. And there's always enough in the kingdom to go around. More than enough for everyone. You know? Because it's a different kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom that you become the greatest by being the least. It's a kingdom that you save the world by dying a criminal's death. It's a kingdom where you have everything in the world and yet all they've got to take from you when you're dead is one shirt. It's a kingdom where unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter it. 
It's completely the other way around. It's when you take the place of, place of least honor that he then comes and elevates you to another place. It's a funny thing. It's like it all works on a different level. And that's the kingdom, right? So he comes along and he says, kids, I want to teach you something. I want to show you that I want to bless you. I want you to walk in blessing, not in a curse. I want you to know that I want to give you every good thing. Just like I want you to fly and not have to walk and not have to drive and not have to go on a covered wagon through hostile territory. I want you to fly. And here is what I want to try to teach you. This is my piece of advice. And it starts with the children of Israel crossing the desert, getting to the Jordan, walking around for another 40 years waiting for giants to die, and eventually crossing the Jordan and marching around Jericho for seven days. And after marching around Jericho for seven days, the walls collapse. They have been in the desert on bread, manna, and quails. They have had chicken sandwiches for the last 40 years. They have had God's provision. It's been okay. They have been provided for in miraculous ways. But they have not lived in the land of milk and honey. And that requires courage. Courage to cross the Jordan. And courage to do what the Lord says when he says, walk around a city in silence. So they walk around and the walls collapse. Now in any military campaign, I'm sure General Granbury would have knew this, that if you take a city, everything belongs to you. All the weapons, the people, the livestock, the food, that's huge provision for your army. You're suddenly very, very wealthy in the terms of the time. The smart thing to do, the law of gravity says, gather all this stuff up, inventory, make these guys work for us. They can build roads. They can dig ditches. They can do all the hard work. We're on easy street and we'll eat their food while they do it. And what does the Lord say? Consecrate everything to me. This is the first city in the promised land. This is the place they have the biggest need. The greatest need. And their position of most vulnerability. And this crazy God we serve says. Destroy the whole lot. Because it belongs to me. Don't leave one stone on top of another. They can't find Jericho today apparently. There's no historical evidence of it. It's completely wiped from the face of the earth. Except there's a, what we would call in Ireland a smart aleck in the camp. A wise guy. And the wise guy thinks, who's going to miss a couple of plates and a couple of knives? And, you know, I mean, we need table settings now that we're not on manna. I want to invite some friends over, so why shouldn't I just take some stuff? So who would know? And so he does. And he buries it under his tent. 
And they go to attack the next place. I, is it? AI? They go there and they're defeated. They're coming off the back of a victory and they're defeated. And they can't figure out why and they seek the Lord and the Lord says, because you're under a curse. What do you mean? Harsh God in the sky who judges us so harshly that we are angry with you. Why would you do this to us? Or father, lover, friend, what are you trying to advise us on now? What are you trying to bless us with? Because we're missing something. There's something missing. And the Lord says, this family, this clan, this family, this guy, and they look and there's this stuff. And he gets destroyed and it gets destroyed and the curse is lifted because suddenly the first of everything is given to the Lord. Right? Everything is given to the Lord. And the principle of the first fruits is also shown whenever we talk about I think it's Exodus thirteen twelve. Just check this one. Consecrate, set apart to the Lord everything that is firstborn, and it is to be sacrificed. But if it is designated unclean, it has to be redeemed by a spotless lamb. Now the spotless lamb things kind of recurs a few times in Scripture. And I can understand people saying, well, that's all right for you, God, because, you know, you don't have to make it in this world. You don't have to pay the affordable health care. You, you don't have to go down to Walmart. and You don't have to try to get through the week. Where has it ever, ever cost you to be human? That's a reasonable question of a demanding and unreasonable God. Except he gave the first of his first fruit for us. Jesus, his firstborn, his only child, he sacrificed. Now, think about your kids. Which one would you crucify? The one that doesn't tidy his room? The one that won't eat all his dinner? The truth is you wouldn't crucify any of them. It's unthinkable. It's disgusting. Who does that? Only someone who does that to buy back the lives of generations. He sacrifices the first of the first fruits. For his kids. Now, this has just come to my attention because of a book written by a man not far from here called Robert Morris. The book's called The Blessed Life. Highly recommended. I'm reading that book on the flight from Texas to the East Coast. I'm convicted, I'm weeping at some of the stories in it, and I'm thinking, Lord, this is amazing. This is incredible. I need to make this change in my life. And so we land 
And I say to my wife, we need to write a check for 10%. The first thing, the first thing we do is before we lodge any of this money, before we do anything, we write a check that's 10% of that. Because that's the first of the first fruits. What do you mean? Do you mean it's possible to give 10% and not tithe? Yes. Of course it is. Because it's the principle of the first fruits. It's, it's, not, it's not about how much you give. Do you tithe gross or do you die, tithe net? Or do you, you know, forget about the first number you thought of and let's figure out, let's pay for the roof, let's fix the car. All those things are needs. Man, they're needs. And let me tell you, every time I've given this talk, man, the next day, Satan has a go at me big time. Right? I hate giving this talk. I always say, Lord, why this talk? You know? Because I hate living it. But the truth is, I am living it. And therefore, I have to share it with you because it's just my story. Right? And we got there. And the people weren't there to pick us up from the airport. And we had to wait. And we'd just come from two incredibly generous mega churches. And they had put us in four or five star hotels and paid for everything. And they took us to their youth pastor's accommodation that he had vacated and there was no toilet paper and there was no milk. And we went from five star to self-catering with an abrupt halt. And we've said we're going to give to this place. And straight away my heart is tested. At every turn my heart is tested. I had so many opportunities to judge those people and say you're not worthy. You don't deserve this. Why should I bless you? But the thing was, I wasn't. I wasn't blessing them. I was given to him. And you can walk this whole world over. And you can find ministries and you can find missionaries and you can find the church down the street where you're not close enough to see its faults. The guy on TV or whoever it is that you're not judging and, and feel happy about giving to that. But when it comes to your local, up close, personal, like so close I can smell your sweat, church, where you know all the issues and your heart's constantly challenged by how people treat you and who doesn't speak to you and who doesn't encourage you. or All those ways in which your heart is tested in any local community organization. It's not just reserved for a church. There are going to be a hundred reasons not to do it. Because the enemy doesn't want you to do it. He wants you to live in the law of gravity and walk to California. He wants you to take the hard right. He wants you to follow the rules of the world which say, get all you can, keep all you can, and someday you'll be very, very wealthy. And that makes sense on the political world system. It's not the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, there's a higher law that transcends that. It goes back to ancient history from a kind father who said, there's a blessing when you consecrate the first of the first. So did we see any change in our life? Well, of course, because I wouldn't be telling this story if I didn't. (laughs) A week later, I'm in a guitar store. It's two and a half hours from where I'm staying. There's a guy playing a Fender bass guitar from the early 1970s and he loves it. He's with us. 
And I feel the Lord say, buy him that guitar. And I was like, are you crazy? The thing's $1,450, right? I'm not buying that thing. If I do buy it, I'm going to take it back to Ireland and I'm going to make a handsome profit on it. So the Lord says, give him that guitar. So I kind of make an excuse and I kind of make him think I'm buying it and I bring it home. And as we get out of the car, he goes to bring in the guitar for me and I say, it's all right, it's yours. And he's blown away. He's knocked out. He can't believe it. We leave Carolina. We go up north. We get to Canada. We're playing for a fellowship who we know and love, care for, who've got no money. And we're playing for no money for the weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. They're lifting some money to cover their costs for a festival it's all part of, and they have a little bit extra. But we've just played for no money. We don't know we're getting anything. And we, we leave. They offer us a ride to our next venue and to pick us up from there later. And we go there that night and we come back and we're in the gas station. And the lady from the church is putting some gas in the car and the pastor from the church phones while she's got the, the phone in the car. If you want to tell a secret to someone, don't use an iPhone. It uses your ear as a speaker and projects it out into the... the just, let, just saying, okay? Another piece of advice. And we hear the pastor say, what are you doing? She says, I'm gassing up the car. He says, make sure they pay for it. And you can understand that. They've got no money. So we've got to pay for the gas. So we do. It's only $25. But we're hurt. Our hearts are challenged. Of course we're hurt. We've just given you our time all weekend. And you want us to pay for the gas as well? Could have borrowed a car. <laughs> this, wouldn't, this wouldn't happen. And so our hearts, again, because finance is used to challenge your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's 2,000 scriptures about finance. Because something about money is connected to our heart strings, not just our purse strings. And so we travel up north. We leave that place. We're going to be back there in a few days. But we leave that place and we go north and we play a little paper town. And there's 5,000 population. And afterwards, someone asks, can they prophesy over us? And we're in this room being prophesied over. And he prophesies financial abundance and blessing. And that's awesome. And then he says, and I believe the Lord wants me to give you this. And he sticks something in my pocket. And when you're in ministry, you learn that it's not a good idea to open gifts in public or even in the town that you're in. You're better being 60 miles out of town, right? Because, you, you know, your heart's going to be tested. It always is, because that's what finance does. When your boss doesn't pay you what you do, what, it's your heart that's angry, you know? When the government takes too much tax, it's your heart that's angry. It's painful. It's physically sore. When you can't fill up your grocery shopping because... You, you don't know where the money's coming from. It's your heart that hurts. Right? Your finance is connected to your heart and he knows this so well. And we leave that church and as we leave, the pastor also gives us a gift. And we've sold a lot of CDs and we're doing great. 
We check the money. We're driving we're 60, 70 miles at a time. And we check the CD money and there's a thousand bucks. And we check the gift from the pastor, which is huge, three and a half thousand dollars. We're like, wow, this is incredible. And then it's time to check the other check. And my heart's pounding because I'm thinking, I hate getting a prophetic word about finance and then getting a $10 check. Like, <laughs> no one needs a disappointment. And we open the check. It's ten thousand dollars. The base costs fourteen fifty, and we've got fourteen thousand five hundred. Ten days later, right? Ten days. Have I ever seen that before? I had only started this four weeks earlier. Has it happened every day since? No, of course not. Has my heart been tested? Absolutely. Last time I gave this talk, the next day I got $600 worth of bills. Thanks, Lord. Were they provided for? Yes, they were. But it didn't feel good. It really didn't. So you see, there's something he's trying to teach us. As we go through this life, our hearts will always be tested. Primarily by finance. Because it's connected to our fears and our tears. Our hopes and our dreams. Our future and our past. It's connected to all these things. And he wants you to walk in freedom. And he wants you to walk in liberty. He wants you to walk in blessing. And what I try to do now is as soon as I get paid for anything, write a check. That's 10%. Before I've lodged even the first check, I write the 10% check. Just to remind me that he's given me 100, but all he wants is 10 And why does he want the ten? Because he's greedy? Because the church needs it? God doesn't need it. No, he wants the ten because there is a principle that I do not understand that says, when the first ten percent is consecrated to the Lord, the rest is blessed. The rest is blessed. It's gravity or it's the law of aerodynamics. Which one do you want to live in? And it takes courage to get in. Do you, can you imagine? The Wright brothers went all the way to Carolina to make the world's first flight and they hadn't even bought a ticket. It wasn't even an airline. Hey, what are you here for? We're here to make the first flight. Maybe we should build an airport, right? They got all that way there and someone had to get in that thing and take off. And they had no idea how that was going to end. And when someone broke the sound barrier, the same thing, right? Every plane that tried to break the, the sound barrier began to shake apart as it reached maximum resistance. And they only had Einstein's theory that when they broke that sound barrier, all resistance would end and they would be fine. But they didn't know. And then a guy drove through it and radioed back. It's right. All resistance has ended. 
And the greatest resistance is right before the breakthrough. So, a lady gave me a hundred bucks in the first service, and I don't know why, but I just feel I've got to give you that. So, have a nice lunch. Um, someone did a survey. This is in the Blessed Life. They did a survey of maximum Christian giving across the globe. It's all giving and tithing. The figure was 1.8%. Of all the trillions that is earned, 1.8% is given. They couldn't believe that America would be that bad, so they commissioned an independent survey for the states, thinking the figures were pulled down by the poorer countries. America was 1.7%. And you are generous people. You're good, kind people. We've experienced that so much. And yet here we are, the church, not realizing that we stand on the edge of breakthrough because there's a principle that he's been revealing since the very beginning which pulls blessing into our life. And I just wanted to share it with you because I have seen this change in my life. I've seen things happen that never, ever happened before. I was generous before. I would give things away before and I would receive things. But I never saw a multiplication like I see. And I've had people say to me, hey, how do I get the hundredfold blessing? How do I get the thousandfold blessing? People become obsessed with the how do I get. Right? And that becomes their motivation for doing what they do. Right? Well, years ago my wife was sick and we, we decided we would go organic and we would make our own bread. We bought organic flour and organic yeast and organic everything. And we had a little bread maker and at night we'd go to bed and I'd put all the ingredients in and mix the bread. And the next day, sometimes the loaf was this shit and sometimes the loaf was this shit and sometimes it was big and sometimes it was small. and I could never tell, Right? Because yeast is very unpredictable. You've got no idea what it's going to do. Anybody else made bread? No? Have you found that? You, you can't actually tell how big... You can't say it's going to be this big. I don't know how bread companies make all those things. I don't know how they do it. Right? But I couldn't do it. And we can't even think like that. You can plant one single piece of corn and it can have between 200 and 900 pieces of corn in it when it comes up. Who can tell? I had a guy phone me a few weeks ago. He's a wealthy guy from uh, Washington. I hardly know him. He's 88 and I could hardly make him out. 88 years of age. I could hardly make him out on the phone. And basically what he said to me was, I believe you've got the gift of giving. Right? And uh, I'm thinking, the whole time the conversation's going on, I'm thinking, because the whole thing's about finance, I'm thinking he's about to give me a gift here. 
And at the end of the conversation, he says, so I want you to think about a number you're going to give away, and there's a guy here I want you to give it to. I was offended. <laughs> and I'm from Ireland, you know. Uh, I'm thinking, is this what Americans do? They're very strange people. I've never had anybody phone me up and ask me to, bluntly to give money to someone. And, and I thought about the give it to him. Because he said, I want you to sow it into this guy's ministry. And I was like, he doesn't have a ministry, right? I couldn't see any logical reason to do it. And I thought about it for a few weeks. I agonized over it. And in the end, I sent a check. And then I beat myself up. And I thought, you fool. You fool, you absolute idiot. You had nothing in your heart. You didn't have compassion. You didn't have, you didn't feel led by the Spirit. You didn't, you just did something because that guy asked you to. It was nothing but obedience. There was no heart in it. I was like, I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have done that. And then the Lord said to me one day, when was the last time that guy asked you to give something? It was five years before. And what did he ask you to do? He asked me, would I give a night in my house to a stranger who had nowhere to stay and feed him? So I drove, picked the guy up from the train station, got him some food, stayed in my house, played guitar into the small hours. And the next day I drove him to the airport and we became friends. That was the last time this guy asked me to do anything. Complete stranger. That guy I gave the lift to, the ride to, he turned out to be the guy that called me up and said, I want to sponsor you to move to the US. And it had never even occurred to me. It took the Holy Spirit to say, remember the last time he asked you to give something? Right? And it's changed my life. In fact, when I applied for a visa, my friends have paid $8,000 for a visa. I applied for mine and paid 1700 I asked for a one-year. They gave me a three-year, and that's all I paid. I asked for a P1, which is a performer, and they gave me an O1, which is an artist of extraordinary merit. <laughs> Just so you know. And, you know, I've seen the blessing of the Lord. When I moved here, someone lent us a house, no rent. For the first two months, we didn't even pay utilities. They wouldn't let us. They paid for everything. It was quite a shock when they did let us. And, uh, <laughs> and someone else lent us a car. So then a few weeks, this is my last story. A few weeks ago, we knew we had to move to Raleigh. We were living 70 miles away and we were driving up three or four times a week and it was becoming ridiculous. And um, we'd viewed 15 properties and actually gone and viewed 15 properties to rent and we had probably searched on the internet 150 right and we'd gone for one property that was right next to the church we were part of two miles away we could have walked it and we seen it on a sunday morning on an email we went sunday afternoon we applied monday and four people had applied ahead of us in that time and we were like oh my goodness like, we just can't win. And then my wife found a property that was in the someday, if only, if all our dreams come true, this is the kind of place we'd like to live in. 
the absolute wildest, in your wildest dreams, where would you like to live? And this was it. And we were taking our kid to the airport the next day and we thought, we'll go and see it. It doesn't cost anything to look at the thing. We went and we seen it. We fell in love. We loved that thing. And we made an offer. It was already low price for it. For some reason, it had been on the market 75 days. And no one had put in any offers, I guess. And we put in an offer and they said no. We put an offer 10% below the rent, which was probably 20 or 30% below what it should have been, right? And they said no and our hearts were disappointed and we laid it down because that was our fleece. I had someone phone me that week and rebuke me for putting out fleeces and you know all kinds of things. But the next week, we're in Toronto. And in between the, these events, we'd been in a little town called New Bern, North Carolina. A woman prophesied over us. And she said, the Lord's sending you to Australia and the Lord's going to open doors in Russia. <laughs> I think that was before the Ukraine thing. <laughs> and uh, all these things. And in the middle of it all, she says, and the Lord says, don't worry about a house. He's going to give you a house. It's not a red brick house. It's a cream house. And the sign will be that a man will come up and give you a check for $1,000. Okay, that's probably the most specific word I've ever had in my life. Right? So I applied the next day. And before I did, um, I sent the photograph of the house to her. And she came back and said, yes, that's what I saw in the prophecy. So we're like a double proof. And away we went. We applied, put in the same offer we put in, and apart from 50 bucks for the alarm system, they said yes. We're like, awesome. That's great. And then we went through the legal thing where you put in all your finance stuff. And on the way to Toronto, in the car, email came, you have been officially approved. Everybody cheered. We're all excited. That's Sunday night. It's awesome. Then we get to Toronto, the 20th anniversary of the outpouring and by the Tuesday my wife's in front of me in, in the, the row she's sitting here I'm sitting there I don't know she doesn't know but she's just had a panic attack about the fact that we're going from not paying any rent to suddenly paying this big rent right and uh, and utilities and all the rest of it we're suddenly getting real in our life in America and she doesn't know but I'm behind her and I've just got the contract and the bill and I'm having a similar moment <laughs> right and the day before, I'd felt the Lord tell me to buy someone lunch. So I'd bought them lunch. And that add up, pardon the pun, that took away one quarter of our food budget for the week, buying them lunch. So I was literally saying, Lord, what are we going to do for lunch? How am I going to eat? You know, because I've only got this 150 bucks left to get me through the week and have to feed my wife and my daughter. And the Canada's expensive, and we're eating in hotels, and this isn't going to work. So I walk down, I go into the restroom, and I bump into a guy I've met once before. And he shakes my hand, and I shake back, and he says, have a good lunch. I open my hand, there's a hundred bucks. I'm like, man, you've no idea how much that means to me. Thank you so much. So I went, and I found two other people on our team, and my wife and my daughter. I took them all out, and I bought them lunch. And by the time it came to tea time, I had no more money left. 
stupid. You think you would just like, you know, keep it, wouldn't you? I just felt so good, man. I just had to bless someone. So, <laughs> so I gave I gave them their lunch, and uh, I was leaving that night. And funny enough, I actually made sure I had a to-go box with that lunch because I knew that was all I had to get through the day. So um, I'm leaving that night, and I bump into the same guy again. This time he gives me fifty bucks. I'm like, you're a nice guy. I like running into you. Right? So then, the next day, Bill Johnson from Bethel is talking about seed and bread. That there's no point planting your bread and sowing your, or eating your seed and planting your bread. Right? You have to tell the difference and be wise and discern. Some things are given for bread and some things are given as seed. Right? And so we're hearing all this and in one part of the talk he says and God has good stuff for you and you need to not be afraid to walk into what he has for you out of some orphan spirit that's part of the talk and that convicts me completely because I'm thinking about the house right and I'm thinking it's it's the dream man it's where we would love to live so what's stopping us and I realize two things are stopping me a feeling of complete unworthiness, unworthiness, that I'm just not good enough to live in that house and that God might provide less, but he won't provide this amount. Right? That's fear. Low self-esteem and fear. This is, By the way, this is January. This isn't years ago. Right? This is life as it happens, up close and personal. So I turn to Pauline and I say, we need to go for this house because God's good and he'll provide and it'll be fine. And we can't shrink back because we've got an orphan spirit. So the two of us stand to receive ministry and probably a bit of courage. If someone had had whiskey, we would have said yes. <laughs> and we're standing there and with our eyes closed, people are praying, receiving ministry, and suddenly there's a hand on each one of our shoulders and we open our eyes and standing in front of us weeping is the guy from the 150 bucks. Now how he found us in a room of four or 5,000 people, I don't know. But there he is standing, us, standing facing us and he's weeping and he's prophesying about what God's going to do and then we're weeping and then he goes and there's 10 lunches. And it's a check for a thousand dollars. And like the prophetic word has just come true. I mean, we're just standing there about that very thing, and we need a sign, and there's the sign. And then he says, and I hope you don't mind, but I told a few millionaires you need money. <laughs> I am so upset with you. <laughs> is, I'm so offended. No, I mean, we're just like, gosh, 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 right? And we end up falling on the floor saying, Lord, how could we ever have doubted you? And within a couple of weeks, there was enough for, because they asked us for a double deposit for the house. These people, these millionaires, I guess, had put enough to pay the deposit on the house. Right? And I have never seen stuff like that before. I've seen people be nice to me and I've seen manna. Believe you me, I've had enough for today. But I always long to live in the land of milk and honey. 
I always wanted to fly to California, not have to walk. And that's why I wanted to share it with you. Because there's a blessing that you can step into because it's available to us all. And yes, it requires courage and it requires sacrifice. And it's not easy. And your heart will be tested. So, if that has anything at all, maybe you're the sort of person who never thinks about money and this is all just irrelevant to you, but I doubt it. Uh, If you're at all like me, human, living between seeing blessing and absolute terror that you're going to die tomorrow, depending on money, just close your eyes and let's just pray together. Father, just repeat after me. Father, thank you that you're kind, that you're good, that you love me enough to educate me in your ways. Father, I choose to repent from living in fear and the system of this world. Give me the strength and the courage to trust you. Forgive me for living in a land of fear. Help me cross over to the land of milk and honey. I receive your forgiveness. I forgive myself. I step out of all shame. I step into my sonship as your child. Beloved, favored, blessed, the apple of your eye. I am proud to be your child. Thank you, Jesus.